truly it is an honor and a privilege to stand before you and to share God's word with you. And I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet with your Bibles in your hand and go to John chapter 20, verse 19. And we're going to read verses 19 to 23. Praise God for each of you, for every minister that's here, and every single person who's here under the sound of my voice to my wonderful, wonderful wife, Lady Amber. Amen. John chapter 20, verse 19. And the precious holy, magnificent, inerrant word of God reads. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews. And Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. And Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he said, when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. And if you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Now, Thomas, one of the twelve called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my fingers into the mark of his nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. And eight days later, his disciples were inside again and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands and put your hand and place it on my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed? Because you have seen me, blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. Today I want to speak briefly from the topic of subject, living in light of the resurrection. Living in light of the resurrection. I want you to touch somebody on your way to your seat and say, neighbor, I am living in the light of the resurrection. I am living in light and in the light of the res resurrection. You know, people 
don't offer their lives up for death for something unless they believe in the cause for which they are willing to die. We'll say that again. People don't offer their life up for death unless they believe in the purpose in which they are willing to die. Church tradition says that 10 out of the 11 disciples that were left after Judas betrayed Jesus, 10 out of those 11 disciples went to be martyrs or to give their life for Jesus. The only one who didn't was John the Apostle, and he died in AD 98 of of old age, even after committing his life to the Lord. Andrew was the first to hear Jesus pronounced as the Lamb of God. And church tradition tells us that he was crucified in southern Greece near Athens. Philip, after leading multitudes to Christ, was stoned to death in Asia Minor. Matthew, church tradition says, who was formerly known as Matthew or Levi, the tax collector, was burned at the stake. Judas Thaddeus was clubbed to death for his faith. Thomas, after spending and spreading the gospel for his entire life, died a martyr's death, killed in India. Nathaniel, Thomas, and James of Alphys died for their faith as well, even though consensus does not say or cannot agree on how they died. Apostle Peter watched his wife be crucified, church tradition says. And right after his wife was crucified, he was crucified. But before they crucified him, church tradition and history tells us that he begged them to crucify him upside down because he did not feel worthy enough to die the same manner of death as Jesus. James, the apostle, in Acts chapter 4, verse 27, the Bible says, was killed by Herod Agrippa I because of his stance for Jesus Christ. And as I think through church history and, and what the tradition says of these great men of God, I am left baffled at the transformation in which they took because as we read John chapter 20, verse 19, we see the same apostles with a different stance. The Bible says in verse 19 that on the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews. After the resurrection, after the crucifixion of Jesus, the Bible says 
on the day that he had risen, before they had received the news that he had risen from the dead, they were in a room and they had the doors locked. And they were afraid because they knew that the Jews had just crucified Jesus and the, the religious leaders was out to get him. They, they murdered him and they're behind the walls looking at each other saying, be quiet, don't talk too loud lest they see or hear us. They were afraid, shaking in their boots. And then we read about how hopeless Thomas is in verse 25 and, and a week or two later when he's gathered together with the rest of the disciples, he has no hope even though they're telling him that Jesus has risen. He says, I won't believe it unless Jesus stands before me and allows me to touch his wounds. Allows me to touch his wounds. You know, there is someone possibly in here today, who is living in fear. There is possibly someone here today who is always afraid of the, the worst thing happening to them. There's someone in here today who is afraid of what people have to say about them. And as a result, they are constantly trying to please people in order that people won't talk about them or look at them funny. There is someone in here today who is afraid that the sins that they committed yesterday are still before God and that God will not forgive them. There is someone here today who has absolutely, positively no peace. And you came today seeking, praying today that God would deliver you from this hopelessness, deliver you from pessimism, deliver you from negativity, deliver you from the bondage that you are in. Amen. Satan has you locked up, not necessarily in a physical torment. But he has you locked up right in your own mind. You're, you're so afraid that you find yourself constantly having to get high or drunk because you don't want to deal with everyday life. Fear is not from God. The Bible says, Paul told Timothy, God has not given us the spirit of fear, but love, power, and a sound mind. There are, some, there are some Thomases in here today. Poor Thomas. Poor Thomas. In 1992, there was a coach by the name of Steve Fisher. He was the coach of the Michigan Wolverines. And in 1992, he got possibly one of the best recruiting classes ever in college basketball. He recruited five freshmen who were known as the Fabulous Five. Those five freshmen were Jalen Rose, Jawan Howard, Jimmy King, and Ray Jackson, along with Chris Webber. And the first year that they all played together, they did extremely well. All season long, they only lost eight games. And in the finals, they lost to an experienced Duke team. 
The next year, they made it back to the finals after going 30-5 and five that season. And they found themselves in a situation where they could win the national championship. There were 70, 17 seconds on the clock, and North Carolina was up by two with a man at the free throw line. And he shoots the ball. Chris Webber gets the rebound. Just as he got the rebound, he acted like he was going to pass it and almost traveled, but he decided to keep the ball, and he took about four or five dribbles up court. And he ran to the sideline as fast as he could. He looked at his coach, he tucked the ball, and he called time out. Now, any other time, that would have been a smart decision. The coach would have said, good call, way to get the rebound, way to work. But at that time, everyone who was watching it on TV, they, they breathed in and grasped. And, and the bench said, no, Chris, because they had absolutely no timeouts left, which meant that now they had to forfeit the ball into North Carolina's hands. And, and North Carolina also got a free free throw. They ended up losing the game by five, and Chris Weber held his head low, and the rest of Michigan wept on the sideline. And soon as the game was over, all the media rushed to Chris in order to drill him about the mistake that he had made. And everyone continued to hold it against him. In fact, for a while, people were calling him timeout Chris. And even though he had a wonderful basketball career, which he ended up averaging about 21 points and nine rebounds and, and four assists, I like basketball a little bit, and even though he had a wonderful basketball career, even to this day, you'll be hard-pressed to mention his name if you see that game without thinking about that timeout. Poor Thomas. Thomas has gotten one of the worst nicknames in the Bible. We call him Doubting Thomas. He made a mistake by doubting the resurrection of Jesus Christ and we do not allow him to live away with it. Whenever we talk about, doubting, about Thomas, we say Doubting Thomas. In fact, it's hard to think about Thomas if you know what he did and not say Doubting Thomas. But the truth is, is that if we're going to tag Thomas as Doubting Thomas, we have to tag the rest of the disciples as Doubting Peter, as Doubting Andrew, as Doubting Matthew. Because the Bible says that on that wonderful, glorious morning that Jesus rose from the grave after he appeared unto the woman, the Bible says that the women went to the disciples, and they said, Jesus has risen, and the disciples looked at them like they were crazy and said, no, he has not. Get away from us. Thomas wasn't the only one who doubted. The women tried to tell him, and some women are nudging their husbands saying, you ought to listen to me. That's the least you can learn today. Even as I called Doubting Thomas Doubting, can I be real with you? I had to look at my own life. Because there are times in which I doubt God. 
There are times in which I find myself not having the faith that I need to have, the faith that would please God. And if you be honest with yourself and be real up in here, you will say that you can say that you're doubting Nuke Nuke or doubting Bebe or doubting John John, whatever your nickname is, because there are times in which we all... Oh, you want to act holier than now today, amen. Looking too good on Easter to say amen or say hallelujah. If we take the facade and the makeup, the cover girl off for a second and be real up in here, we're not a whole lot better than the disciples. But why do we doubt? And when we doubt, do you notice what comes with the doubting? Fear comes with the doubting. Hopelessness comes with the doubting. Negativity comes with the doubting. Unnecessary brokenness comes with the doubting. Paranoia comes with the doubting. Weed comes with the doubting. Jack Daniels comes with the doubting. Hating on my wife or my children comes on with the doubting. Being envious of my neighbor comes with the doubting. They made two grave mistakes. The first grave mistake is that they ignored the voice of the women. But the second grave mistake that they made is that they ignored the testimony of Christ. They ignored the testimony of Christ. Jesus, in the last three weeks of his ministry, told his disciples that this day is coming. He told them. In John chapter 2, verse 19, we read, Jesus saying, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it. In Matthew chapter 20, verse 18 through 19, we hear Jesus saying, see, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified, and he will be raised on the third day. When we ignore the resurrection, when we ignore what Christ has done, we end up becoming just like the disciples. Now, many of us, I, I said, you will notice that I said ignore. Because if we're saying that we are Christian, we are saying that we believe that there was a resurrection. Without the resurrection, you cannot be a follower of Christ. Because Christ did not die and stay dead. Christ is not Muhammad. Christ is not Joseph Smith. Christ is not Buddha. Christ is the Son of God, and he rose on the grave. The resurrection is the Christian's only hope. Without the resurrection of Jesus, there is no Christianity. The resurrection is to a Christian what water is to the ocean. 
what a stone or stones is to a mountain, what blood is to our body. The resurrection of, of, of Christ is not optional, it's mandatory. It's not something that we can believe in or disbelieve in. It's something that we have to be absolutely, positively sure that happened. As sure as you're sitting here, we must be sure that Christ rose again from the grave. Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 that if Christ was not raised from the dead, then he said, our preaching is in vain. He said, if Christ is not raised from the dead, that the people and the preachers and the witnesses that went before us lived a life in vain as we did too. That, that William Carey, the great missionary, that he lived a, a life in vain. That Adoran Johnson and Ann Judson, that they lived a, a life in vain. That, that Lottie Moon lived a, a life in vain. That Jim Elliott lived a life in vain. That Martin Luther King Jr. lived a, a life in vain. If the resurrection did not happen. Every preacher, every Christian is a fool. Our faith is in vain. And no one can be saved from their sins. All former believers would have died as fools. And Paul says, if that be true, if that be true, Christians above all people are most to be pitied. Amen. Without the resurrection, there is absolutely no hope for us. And without living in light of the resurrection, we will live as if there is no hope. If the resurrection of Jesus Christ is just something that we celebrate one Sunday out of the year, we will be hopeless. If it's the only time that we hear about Christ being raised and the only time that we meditate on this truth, we void out the gospel. The resurrection is something that we should think about daily. It's something that we should breathe, that we should eat, that we should drink that we should live in light of and when Easter comes we should celebrate it even the more but every day is a celebration because Christ conquered death we have hope because of the resurrection that's why Thomas didn't have hope Thomas wasn't necessarily a person it's not because he didn't follow Christ and he didn't love Christ I will argue that Thomas probably loved Christ more than most of the disciples. In John chapter 11, verse 9, we see Thomas is the one who speaks up for Jesus as, as Jesus' friend Lazarus has just died and Mary and Martha are mourning and the disciples come to Jesus and they say, listen, Lazarus has died. Let us go to Bethany. And Jesus said, we will go. He's not dead. He's sleeping. And some of the disciples said, wait a minute, we can't go to Bethany because if we go to Bethany, that means we have to go the way of Jerusalem. We can't go the way of Jerusalem because they want to kill you. Thomas stood up and spoke up and he said, listen, let's go. And if we die, we die with you. Same thing in Matthew chapter 14. Thomas speaks up again. Jesus is talking about his death, talking about going away. If I go and prepare a mansion, wait a minute. Thomas said, wait a minute. Where are you going? 
You need to let us know where you are going so that we can go with you. And Jesus just blew Thomas off. He said, listen, Thomas, if you don't know where I'm going by now, partner, you probably ain't going to ever know. But Thomas really loved Jesus. The, the problem that Thomas had is that he was facing hopelessness because he was not meditating on the words of Christ that Christ said that I will rise. And when Christ died, Thomas's hope died. We do not serve a dead Christ. We serve a Christ who is alive and doing well. Therefore, we should have hope every Sunday. First Peter chapter 1. Verse 3 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy that he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. We have a living hope through Jesus Christ as a result of the resurrection. Thomas made two grave mistakes. Two grave mistakes after the death of Jesus. The first grave mistake that he made is, is that he did not come to church when he didn't feel like it. I'm going to say that again. The first grave mistake that Thomas made is that he did not come to church because he did not feel like it. The Bible says that after the death of Jesus, that the disciples was together in a room. Everyone except for Thomas. Thomas didn't feel like being bothered with Peter and Matthew. He didn't feel like being bothered with James of Alphaeus. He, he didn't feel like being bothered. He said, look, I don't feel like going to church today, so I'm going to stay at home. Huh? What happened when Thomas stayed at home? The Bible says that Jesus showed up. That Jesus came in a room and he said, peace be unto you. That Jesus spoke blessings into their life. Oh, y'all don't hear me. I found out that a lot of people come to church only when they feel like it. And when you come to church only when you feel like it, you miss your blessing. You miss the choir singing the songs of Zion. You miss the deacons praying a prayer to God saying, Lord, help us to hold on. You miss a mother smiling at you saying, baby, how you doing? You miss a young person coming up to you saying, God is showing sure up good. what the devil wants you to do he wants you to come to church only when you feel like it but I got news for you I found out in my life that when I don't when I stay at home when I because I feel like it normally I end up missing a blessing can I be real about it I don't feel like coming to church today because church starts so early in the morning. What time you get up on work to go to work on Monday morning? What time you get your kids out of the bed on Monday morning? What time do you wake up to go to Sam's Club on Saturday? 
what time do you wake up to go and jog and run? If, if it's too early on Sunday, it should be too early on Monday. Thomas didn't show up and he missed Christ. He didn't show up and he missed his Savior. And when we let the devil tell us that it's okay to be a sometime churchgoer, we don't realize that we are missing an opportunity to grow. We are missing an opportunity to learn. We are missing an opportunity to praise God. And one opportunity missed can be a huge opportunity. You don't know what Sunday morning will bring you. You don't know who's got a blessing for you. You don't know who's got a gift certificate for you. You don't know who's been praying for you. You don't know who's got a word for you. Thomas had to go a whole week in a hopeless state. He had to go a whole week without having fellowship. Oh, Psalms 133, how good and how pleasant it is. For brethren to gather together in unity. It's a good thing to come to the house of the Lord and praise the Lord. David said, let everything that has breath praise the Lord. When I use my breath to praise and you use your breath to praise, God gets that breath and he likes that flavor, baby. And he says, I'm going to drop in on you and hook something up here. The choir is going to sing with a little extra energy. The preacher's got a word for you. A mother's going to encourage you. Do not forsake the gathering together of believers as some has. Somebody say, you need to be in a church. You had a hard and a long day, and I found out that you was a University of Louisville fan. Huh? Somebody said sorry for you. What you say? And I found out that you was a University of Louisville fan. Basketball, that is. Men's, that is. And I came to you and said, listen, I know you had a hard day, and I got two tickets for you. And it's front row. You will take those tickets and say, man, this is going to make my day better. Be grinning all the way out the door because you're a fan of University of Louisville. Despite your day, despite how tired you are, if you've got time, you're going to be there. Well, I found out that God's love, that God's game is a whole lot better than Edgar Sosa. I found out that God's game is a whole lot better than Kobe Bryant. I found out that God's game will make Michael Jordan look like a sixth grader. I found out that God's game, who's got game? No, 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 Jesus Shuttlesworth ain't got game. Jesus the Christ of Nazareth got game. Second grave mistake that he made was that once he came together with the apostles, he did not trust the apostles' word. The apostles came and they said, listen, Jesus has been here. And he looked at them, the, the same men who walked with Christ for, for three years, 
who saw him do miracles, who saw him raise Lazarus from the dead. He rejected their voice in disbelief. We must be careful to make sure we don't do the same thing. We must be careful to make sure that we value the words of the apostles. We must make sure that we truly believe what the scripture says, that all scripture is God-breathed. We must believe the testimony of Christ, which was founded on the, on the experience of the apostles and the preaching that they preached and that they received from Christ. We must believe John's word when he says, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen, which our eyes, with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life, the life was made manifest and we have seen it and testify to it and proclaim it to you, the eternal life, which was with the Father and was manifest to us that also you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. You must believe those words. You must hold those words dear to you. You must be like Jeremiah in Jeremiah 15 and 16. He says, Lord, your words were found and I ate them. Your words was a joy and the delight of my heart for I am called by your name, O Lord of hosts. The resurrection cannot be an idea. The resurrection cannot be a cartoon. The resurrection cannot be something that we make up and something that we think about every now and then. The resurrection must be the core. It must be our center. It must be our breath. It must be our blood. It must be our drink. It must be our satisfaction. Because if there is no resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, we have absolutely no hope. We preach in vain. We sing in vain. And we shout in vain. But if Christ be raised from the dead, what can God not do? Love reading stories about how some scholar from Harvard or Yale does a, a case study. And in the case study, they say, well, we're going to approach the resurrection just like we would approach any historical fact. And at the end of the day, if it measures up to these things, then we'll say that it was a historical event. And then after researching it, they find out that it does, uh, it is valid just as any other great moment of history is valid. And then I, I love reading their words as they say, and I had to put my faith and trust in Christ. And I'm always encouraged by reading those stories, but I always think after I read them, I'm glad that you found Christ. I'm glad that you did that empirical data, but I am not dependent upon your words. I am dependent upon these words. If you had kept Came back and said something different I'll still praise his name I'll still worship him I'll still sing songs of Zion because at the end of the day your word is not the word of authority Christ's word is if we live in light of the resurrection there's a couple things that we will experience the first thing that we will experience if we meditate on the resurrection is peace is peace 
The Bible says that when he showed up each time in the house that Jesus said, peace be with you. And when we think about what Christ has done, I don't care what storm is going on in your life. I don't care what tribulation you are facing. If you just stop and think about it for a minute, you will have peace and say, Lord, I know that you are able. If you don't have peace, you're not meditating on the resurrection. When I'm having a bad day and I don't feel like worshiping God, it's because I have not taken the time to resurrect to, to listen to the voice of the Lord in scripture about the resurrection. Paul said in Philippians chapter 4 and 8, think on the things that are pure. Think on the things that are lovely. Think on the things that are beautiful. What's pure? What's lovely? What's beautiful? Besides my wife, but even more, Jesus Christ. As beautiful as your wife or your husband is, there may be a time when their attitude is not beautiful. And where you do need peace. You need something else, someone else to, to meditate on. Besides peace, we will experience the pleasure of the Lord. The Bible says that when he showed up each time that the disciples were glad. The Bible says that they had joy. And when Thomas saw Christ and he touched his wounds, the Bible said that Thomas was shouted out. He said, my Lord and my God, exclamation point. When Thomas saw the resurrected one, he had joy. If you are missing joy in your life, it's because you're missing the resurrection of Jesus Christ. For in the presence of the Lord, there is fullness of joy. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. When we stop and wake up and say, I don't have to be in this pit. I don't have to be in this ditch. I don't have to be down. All I have to do is look up to the one who is resurrected. We will experience joy. He will keep our minds in perfect peace. If our minds is stayed on him, and if you're saying today, I don't have joy, I don't have peace, boo, what are you thinking about? What are you meditating on, boo? Is it Lil Wayne or Jay-Z, boo? If you take your mind off of them for a second and, and think about the one who created Lil Wayne and Jay-Z, think about the one who threw the stars in the sky and the moon in the sky. Think about the one who created all the galaxies you can't help but to have. Not only will he give you peace, not only will he give you pleasure, but you will get to know the power of the Lord. Imagine what Thomas felt when he touched the sides of Jesus. Imagine what he must have been thinking when he touched his hands. Can you imagine that? You see a man put to death and all of a sudden he just appears in the room. He hears what you say. Can you imagine the feeling and the emotions that must have overtook him as he reached out his finger to touch the wounds of Christ where nails were put through by Roman soldiers, where, where nails were put through his feet, where a spear was driven through his side, where a thorn was put on his head? Can you imagine how Thomas must have felt and he must have thought, oh my goodness, you were dead. And you are alive. And that's 
That's what the resurrection should have us think about, the power of God. Acts chapter 2 verse 24 says, if God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. God raised up Christ and loosed death. Can you imagine if death and Satan was to have a conversation how it would sound? My Lord. I can imagine a conversation between Satan and death the day that my Lord died on the cross. I can imagine Satan coming up to death and say, death, you've got a real one on your hands now. This Jesus of Nazareth has been causing me all kind of problems. I brought Lazarus to you, but Jesus overcame you when he spoke Lazarus. Get up off that grave. Death, I'm giving him to you now. And I, I've heard that it was prophesied that this Jesus of Nazareth, that he would raise on the third day. And I can imagine death saying, Satan, do you not have confidence in me? Everybody that you've sent my way, I was able to keep down. I've still got Jeremiah and Elijah, Hezekiah and Nehemiah. I've still got Ezra and Obadiah. Would you take a chill pill and relax a little bit? I can surely handle Jesus. I can imagine Saturday coming around. And Satan looks at death and say, death, do you still have him? Death looks at Satan and say, Satan, didn't I tell you to go bother somebody else? And didn't I tell you to go down the road in that Jewish synagogue that I had Jesus under control? And I can imagine on Sunday morning, Satan running to death and saying, death, do you still got Jesus? And death said, well, Satan, sit down for a minute. I've got a story to tell you. Can I get some help up in here? Early on Sunday morning, something started shaking. Something started moving. Something started breaking. And when I looked up, I heard a voice. And the voice called my name. It said, death. Where is your sting? Hades, where is your victory? And Satan, I did everything I could. But when he started to speak, I just had to leave. I heard somebody say that the grave could not hold him. So please don't be mad at me. And all of a sudden, I heard a shout like thunder. And the shout said, all power. What did you say, death? All power. What did he say after that? Is in my hands. We serve an awesome God. We serve a powerful God. We serve a mighty God. If Jesus got up from the grave, don't you think he can pick you up from your storm? And don't you think he can save you in the midst of your tribulation? Don't you think he can help you with whatever sin you're going through? Power is in his hands. Power is in his hands. Is there anything too hard for God? 
Is there anything impossible for God? Is there anything that God cannot do? I heard my grandmother say, he's a doctor in a sick room. He's a lawyer in a courtroom. He's a lamb of God. Ain't he all right? Ain't he all right? He is the bomb in Gilead. He is the lion of Judah. He is the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. He is the rock of ages. The tomb looked like a pebble compared to the rock that was inside of it. The tomb wasn't heavy enough to carry my Jesus, but Jesus, 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 when I'm going through, Jesus, Jesus, when bills are due, Jesus, 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 when I don't got no more strength, Jesus, Jesus, when my kids are acting a fool, Jesus, 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 will you praise him? Will you praise him? Will you praise him? Will you bless him? Will you magnify him? Will you glorify him? Will you exalt him? Oh, bless the Lord, oh my soul, and all that is within me. I dare you to bless him. I dare you to praise him. I dare you to thank him. I dare you to let go. He looked at Thomas and he said, Thomas, I'm glad that you believe. I could have not shown up and just remained away from you, but I'm a merciful God. Isn't God merciful? He could have said, Thomas, you didn't have faith, so you can't see me. But I found out that God is a God of grace. He's better to me than I am to him. God is a forgiving God, long and compassionate, long-suffering. God is a God of his word. The Bible says that then Jesus blessed us. He said, blessed are they who have not seen. Oh my goodness. The Bible says that the, 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 the promise of the Lord is yes and amen. I'm so glad we got a God of promise because he gave us another word. He said, even though I'm leaving you, I will return. I can't wait to that day that Jesus returns when he comes riding on a cloud with might and power, when he takes away cancer, when he takes away diabetes, when he wipes away every tear, when he puts Satan under his feet, I can't wait till that day. God bless you.